Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we explore the message of Psalm 8 and use it as an example for the process of studying the Bible. We are all significant characters in the cosmic story, called to steward our choices for the sake of God's kingdom. Although we struggle to steward well, the work of Jesus helps free us to make our choices with grace and hope. The story of the Bible invites us to participate in purpose, to align with meaning, and to steward our part of the story well. Okay, well last time we talked about the story of the Bible and how stories are how we understand ourselves in large part and that we all can be the minor character that's the major character but doesn't have to bear the burden of the meta-narrative. That's, that's a choice every one of us can make and we can look at ourselves that way. So then the question is, well, where do you get that from? And I mentioned Psalm 8 and what, what we're going to do this time is actually step through this. And I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this in a Socratic method, which means I'm going to ask you questions. And part, part of what I want to demonstrate here is what I try to do with myself as I go through Scripture. I try to ask myself questions. Mm-hmm. What is this talking about? Why is that there? That sort of thing, okay? So let's go Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. So, so far, what are we doing here? Giving praise to God. Giving praise to God. So it, who, who's the speaker? David. Okay, so David is speaking, and he's speaking of God. Wow, your name is excellent in all the earth, and you've set your glory above the heavens. And now I'm going to skip down to verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? Now, the reason I skipped to three is because two doesn't fit with the rest of the, the psalm. And so for, because of time here, I'm going to just tell you that when I was reading this the first time, I was like, why is two there? It doesn't fit. And one of the things I've noticed in Scripture is when something doesn't make sense or it doesn't seem to fit, it's a clue that something big is there. And that's, that's your key to discovery is when something seems out of place, it's a clue that the treasure's there, okay? So, because he says, you know, your name's excellent in all the earth, your glory's above the heavens. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. But in 2, it says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger, which has nothing to do with praising God in the heavens. Okay, so we'll come back to that because this is going to be the key to the whole thing. So, but let's go to three. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained. So where's, where's David looking? Up. He's looking up. And obviously when you look up, you say, that's unbelievable, right? Yeah. And then he asks a question. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? So in the big scheme of things, got this giant universe, what is one person? Small. Small. <laughs> yeah, you can't look at all that and not wonder if you matter. Right. Yeah. And then it says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels 
and crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So what is he marveling at here? Marveling at the role of mankind in, in God's design, that he's allowed us a place of significance. Yeah, and what is that significance? To tend to the earth. To tend the earth. And what is the surprising thing? Who should be tending the earth, would you think? The angels. The angels. Why? Because they're higher than man. They're higher. So why would you assign something so important to a lesser character? Why would you do that? To give them an opportunity to be significant? Maybe. That's certainly that's certainly the, the inference here that he's made us really significant, but he put us over the angels for some reason. Why? I gave you a clue early on. You'll find it in verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength or praise. It can be translated. Because of your enemies. Okay, so who, who's, who's David speaking about? Satan. The enemy, yeah. Because he's speaking of Satan, who is God's enemy. But he says enemies, which is interesting. So it would be Satan and all of his followers. That you may silence the enemy and the avenger. So why has God put man over the angels? I wonder if it is to show Satan that God is so powerful and that he has given his creation the power to be able to defeat Satan. Like, that's how small Satan actually is. Yeah, what is a—I think that's it. What is a babe—if you see a baby that's nursing, what do you always know about that baby? It's weak. Weak? Needy. Needy. More importantly, hasn't been on the earth very long, right? The new. New. (laughs) New. So how long have the angels been around? eons of time, unknown time, and they're clearly more powerful than we are. They're clearly more capable than we are. It says it right there. And yet, he puts the earth under us to prove something to one of the angels that fell. And he's ordained, and you usually don't think, in a babe and a nursing infant, what comes out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? Squalling. Squalling. (laughs) Puking. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he's going to use to shut up Satan. Okay, so now think of your favorite story. The hero always starts off how? As a baby. Squalling. Squalling. Small. (laughs) Small. Luke Skywalker's a farmer. He kind of knows there's, he looks up, he knows something's wrong. But when they come to him, he says, oh, me? I'm not, what do you mean me, right? Yeah. yeah it's not, not, nothing special to him. It's, it's always that way. Uh, Frodo, it's just a hob. The hobbits are the weakest of all the creatures, and he's just a hobbit. Bilbo, you know, they're, they're just hobbits. It's the, that's why all great stories start. Well, that's, this is why. This is the small becoming big. So it's the idea that the, the, the power and the reach 
of good is such that it makes the lowly, the small, the squalling uh, significant, makes it the, the power. The power of God coming through dependence is vastly superior to any other power. We're babies and nursing infants. Okay, well, all right. You, you feel insignificant. You know why? You are in this sense. But you want significance. Why? You were made to have it. And how do you have it? By serving this purpose. Okay? So, now, the question is, are we currently... So he made us to have dominion over the sheep and oxen, the birds of the sea, the birds of the air, and to steward the whole earth. So which, what that means is we should have porpoises coming to us to ask what, you know, how can they help us? <laughs> we should have birds kind of communing with, you know, nature, and we should be in complete simpatico with everything that's going on. And those animals should love serving us, which is why we love dogs and pets, because that that's a, a vestige of what it's supposed to be like, and yet it's not. So what happened? The fall of man. The fall of man. Okay, so let's flip over to Hebrews 2. We'll start with the quote from Psalm 8 here, and then we'll, we'll zoom out. So Hebrews 2 verse 5 says, For, so it's because the for is there, we're going to have to, it's connected to something. We'll go back and connect that later. For he, God, has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place. Here comes Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands, rather than who? The angels. Rather than the angels, right? You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And now here comes the greatest understatement of all time. For in that he put in all in subjection under him, he left nothing that's not put under him. In other words, he said everything, and he meant everything. But now we do not see all things put under him. It's not the way it's supposed to be right now. It's not working. Why is that? You said it. Because of the fall of man. Because of the fall of man. We're not operating the way we're supposed to. How are we supposed to be operating? Well, if we're going to rule the earth in harmony with Jesus, we're going to do it serving. We're going to do it in perfect harmony. There's not going to be violence. There's going to be total stewardship to the benefit of that. That's what we're all asked to do. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, that's not happening right now. we got wars and violence and all kinds of things going on. But what do we see? Verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, okay? How was Jesus made a little lower than the angels? He was made into a man. Made into a man, okay? So we're not getting the job done. So what does God have to do? Make another man. Make another man that can do the job. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So we got a new kind of glory and honor. Now, reigning, ruling, 
is going to come through the suffering of death. That's the new path. That he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So now this door is open for all of us to go through this door and restore what was taken. For it was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. So creation was made by Jesus, for Jesus. It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now here we get into a little bit of a conundrum because the word salvation is generally looked at as a technical term to always mean to save man from hell to heaven. But that's not how it's used in the Bible. It's used in the Bible the same way we use save in English. Like if I say to you, do you want to save that meatloaf? You don't immediately wonder why the meatloaf's going to hell, right? (laughs) Right, right. You understand I'm saying, do you want to preserve it from being thrown away and put it in the refrigerator? So you have to understand it from context. And in fact, the Greek word sozo is often translated heal because someone got saved from sickness. So from the context tell you something's being delivered from something and you have to look what is being delivered from what. Well, in this context, what is being delivered from what? Man is being delivered from death. Yeah, man's being delivered, well, through death, but what, are we, what, are we, what is actually askew? The f- well, the full consequence of the fall. Yeah, yeah. So may- we're being delivered from the fall mm-hmm. to be restored back to the way the earth's supposed to be. And the only, th- only path of that is through the suffering of death. So now there's two aspects to that. One is to be reborn, and the other is to be brought to glory. And how are Christians brought to glory once they're a glory, meaning, you know, you won, you succeeded in his life. So you got to be born, and then you have to live a life that's deserving of reward. And how do you do that? Through the suffering of death. So what all do you have to put to death to live the kind of life that is worth a reward? The flesh. The flesh. And how, is, how do you do that? We said that in the last time. By making choices. Little choices. A lot of little choices that feel bad when you do it, but you're glad later. As opposed to the felt good when you do it and you're sorry the next morning. Right? That, that's, that's it. That's, that's walking in the spirit in a nutshell. Now, you're, you're, you've got a smirk laugh. You're thinking something, Joey. I'm just thinking of how right that is. <laughs> how often... I've just done things, and the next day, what was, what was that about? Why did I, why did I do that? Uh, also, the other way, just like, and how often there's been things like service projects or just things like that that I just don't want to get out of bed and go do, but afterwards, I've you know felt the most alive and full of purpose as I could be. So it just rang particularly true to me. When you said that's, that. that's it. That's life in a nutshell right there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So verse 11 then, for both he who sanctifies, sanctified just means set apart for a purpose. What is the purpose in this, in this context? What purpose has God set us apart for as humans, humanity? To rule over. To rule and to shut somebody up. To defeat the enemies. Yeah, to defeat the enemy. 
we're supposed to shut him up because he claims he has a right to rule. And God says, no, I'm giving them the right to rule. And so we, we shut him up when we rule in perfect harmony and peace. So when we are turning the other cheek, when we are uh, serving our kids, when we're serving our husband, when we're playing our roles, when we're being a good neighbor, we're doing a cosmic, amazing thing. We're, we're that minor character that the, the readers understand how big it is, but no one in the story does. So now we're superheroing, right? Yeah, everybody, everybody that's reading gets who Clark Kent is and how he's changing the world, but nobody in the story understands what's happening. And that's it. This is, this is it right here. Mm-hmm. Both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. Because this, this is the, the whole goal is we're doing this together in harmony with one another. So we're all one. For which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. So he wants us to be a part of his glory. And how do we do that? One little decision at a time. One faith decision at a time. He says, um, he says something like this in one of my favorite uh, passages in Revelation, Revelation three, and if we look at that, it's the Laodicean church. And he says in verse twenty-one, um, "To him who overcomes, we'll talk about what that means in a second. I will grant to sit with me on my throne." as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So there's a lot there, but uh, how did Jesus overcome? Overcome is nakeo. It means to have victory over something. So how did Jesus overcome? What did he have victory over? Over death. He had victory over death. How? By dying. By dying, which is interesting, right? What, What else did he overcome? Sin. He overcame not sin in the sense of he had sin. He overcame sin because he died, took our sin on. But he did overcome temptation. He was tempted in every way as we are. What else did he overcome? He overcame what everybody has to overcome when you go through obedience. He had to learn it. He learned obedience even to death on the cross, which means he had to overcome not knowing, how, you know, not knowing. He, he, he didn't know how to obey, and he had to learn how to obey. He, he had to learn that. So he says, if you'll overcome like I did, if you'll overcome temptation, if you'll walk through death, which we can do through faith, and then daily put to death the flesh, I want you to sit with me on my throne. And the interesting thing there is he's already was on the throne before he left. But he was on the throne as God. And he came back as a man, and now he's put on the throne of the earth, which now takes us back to Psalm 8, right? Because we're supposed to be on the throne, and it got vacated. And nobody's on the throne. And then Jesus was reinstalled. But who wanted that throne? Satan. Satan. Satan wanted the throne. And probably... I'm going to just say probably. The Bible's not real clear about this. He probably had it before. The, uh, my guess is when, when, you, when you get to Genesis 1, it says the earth was formless and void. 
I'm going to guess it got that way because Satan wrecked it. And he was the, it's, this is just inferred in my view, but he wrecked it and he got dispossessed and he wants it back now that it's all fixed again. And so you have the new heaven and the new earth, and what God says is one of the greatest rewards is who's going to share with me ruling and reigning. And uh, I've talked to people often, and they say, well, I don't want to be in charge. But that's because we're used to, in this world, being in charge means tyranny, that you're coercing people. But the whole point here is to serve others, you know, to, to wash people's feet as the way of, of uh, ruling, which is what Jesus said. I said I, yes, I am the king, but I didn't come to overthrow the Romans exactly, not the way you thought of it. I came up to overthrow sin in the whole world, and you do that through service, okay? And they killed him for it because he, he was upsetting all the political balances. So what that tells you is if you're willing to do that kind of service, there's going to be a big price to pay. But here's the reward. And I hear people say, well, I just want to get in. I just want to go to heaven. I don't care what my rewards are. And I say, you will. That's the Esau mentality. <laughs> you will care. You'll care a lot. But it's not, it's, not the, it's not the reward doesn't look like it does in this life. It's going to be doing something. It, it's a degree of intimacy, really. You know, what, how intimate do you want to be with what Jesus is about? It's going to be like the greatest reward possible, and it comes about through those little choices. So then you say, well, okay, I've already screwed up a bunch, so now what do I do? Well, what, what, is, what happens in the stories to the guys that have screwed up a bunch? They are given new opportunities. Always, you always have a new opportunity. That's, that's one of the key things on every story. There's always a new day. It's always a new, new choice. But this decision's the one that matters. This decision is the, the one that's going to change your trajectory. So be faithful. Be faithful in this decision. That, that's what really matters. And what your flesh wants you to do is think, ah, I already messed up so much, I might as well give up. Well, that's always one of the temptations in every story, isn't it? That the character's going to despair, and you're thinking, no, don't give up. Just keep trying. His mercies are new every day. This is, a, this is a real consistent theme all throughout the Bible. Just start now. Jesus tells this parable where he says the farmer goes to the marketplace and gets a bunch of workers at 8 a.m., and then he goes back at 10, and he gets some more, and then he goes back at noon and gets some more. And he goes back like at 3 o'clock, and he gets some more workers, and so they come, they only work a couple hours, and at the end of the day, he pays them all the same. And the guys who worked all day come and say, hey, what's the deal? These guys just worked two hours. We, we worked eight. And Jesus says, well, what problem do you have if I want to be generous to the guys that only worked two hours? They were still there for me when I wanted them. Well, what does that tell you? The the guys who just come along at the last minute and are still faithful might still get this reward. And if you give up before it's all there, you might lose it. And isn't that the way life works? So this is what I, when I, when I look at the Bible, this is the meta narrative I've always got in my mind. And I'm looking, I'm searching for these minor characters and how they play and what we can learn from them and 
where I see myself in them. That's, I think, what we're trying to do here with this podcast series is enable, empower people to find their own journey and see their own journey. And, and what I hope we can do with Scripture is make it where um, you, you, you begin to see all this for yourself and discover for yourself. And that we're just trying to open the door. It's kind of what the, what the goal of all this is. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. 